Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be reading through verses uh, 16 through 19 together this morning. As the, you know, the summer comes to a close, uh, a lot of us during this time of year, we start to mentally shift gears a little bit. Uh, school starts to begin uh, as our, our work year starts to begin, and the same is true for us as a church. Uh, this time of year, kind of the end of August every year, is a time where, where we start to shift gears, where all, all of our, our regular midweek ministries uh, start back up in a couple weeks. And, uh, and so with the fall approaching us, I, I wanted to give us something this morning uh, that could, uh, a passage that could stick with us uh, for the rest of this year. Something that will not only launch us uh, into this next year as a church, but something that will last with us, something that will sustain us, something that will help us to thrive together in the gospel. Now, there is a lot of passages that we could pick to do that. Uh, but this, this one here from the Apostle Paul, this, this prayer from Paul, is, is probably, I think, the best place for us to be right now, uh, that, that these verses might be the thing that you most need right now, that we as a church most need to be looking at right now for this year and for today. And so read with me Ephesians 3, follow as I read it, uh, Ephesians 3, this prayer from Paul, starting in verse 16. Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now this prayer by Paul is a weird prayer. You know, Paul, it sounds like, is praying for someone who we think probably isn't a Christian, must not be a Christian. And he prays that Christ would live in them, which if you're a Christian, you know, surely he already does. He prays that they would know the love of Jesus, which, which surely a Christian already does. He prays that they would have the fullness of God in them, which, which Paul in Colossians 2 says Christians already do have. It sounds like, in other words, that, that Paul is, is praying this prayer for someone who's not a Christian. And yet the reality is he's praying this prayer for people who already are Christians. Paul is, is praying this prayer for the people who he called at the beginning of this letter the saints, the faithful ones in Ephesus. In other words, what Paul is doing here 
is he is praying that God would give Christians things that God has already given them. Now, how does that make any sense? You know, did, did those three years in the desert finally just catch up with Paul? They really messed with his mind, and now we just get kind of loopy Paul here in the church uh, to Ephesus asking for all these things that don't make any sense at all. Well, Paul knows himself. Paul knows how easy it is to get the gospel, and yet the gospel hasn't gotten a hold of you. Paul knows how easy it is for us to know, to understand, to genuinely believe in God's inexhaustible grace to us in Jesus, and yet it not be real to us. It not be the thing that that moves us in the bottom of who we are, that it, it interests us, it comforts us, but it doesn't thrill us. Jesus doesn't electrify us. You know, you can think of it this way. You can have a bank account in it uh, with a million dollars in it. Uh, In other words, you, you can be rich, and yet it is possible to still live day to day as if you were poor. Uh, that you can have this bank account that is busting at the seams with money and yet you never actually take any time to go down to the ATM and make a withdrawal from it. The same is true in the Christian life. You know, if you're a Christian, you have what Paul called in the verses just before this, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. You have a spiritual, emotional wealth in the gospel beyond anything that you could ever imagine, and yet it's possible, it is possible to be spiritually rich and yet live day-to-day spiritually poor. I know, because I do it every day, that there is so much of the beauty of Jesus that every day I completely miss. In fact, we all do. This is the struggle of the Christian life. So how do we experience the gospel? How does it it get a hold of us? How does it catch fire in the core of our emotional, spiritual life so that it sends us out into this world with the uncommon love of Jesus? This prayer. This prayer is how. Paul is praying in this prayer that the gospel would become real to us. That he is actually praying us further and further and further into the beauty of God's grace. He's helping us in this prayer go to the ATM and make a withdrawal from the unsearchable riches of Jesus so that the gospel would thrill us. And so here's my question for you this morning. What would change if this prayer was answered in your life this year? If Paul's words 
became your biggest prayer, your prayer for the year, what would change? Well, to see uh, this prayer that, that Paul is inviting us into, we, we need to see a little bit more clearly three things that Paul is telling us to pray for in it. Paul's, in, Paul's inviting us here to pray for an unordinary power, an unimaginable love, and an undeniable growth. So first, pray for an unordinary power. Now, in 2011, there was a, a massive earthquake about 100 miles off the coast of Japan, and uh, it, it made this, this catastrophic tsunami. I mean, it was actually pretty tragic. Almost 20,000 people died from it. Uh, buildings, towns were absolutely destroyed. And in the process, it actually disabled all three of the nuclear reactors for the city of Okuma. And when it did, people all around the world uh, watched on their TVs, anxiously wondering what is going to happen to this city without power. I mean, can we, can we imagine today a city without power? Well, Paul is saying he can't imagine a Christian without power. You know, Paul prays for three things in this prayer, and, and the first one is power. He prays in verse 16 that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power. Now, when, when we hear someone praying for power, we probably cringe a little bit inside. You know, power doesn't really have a good reputation uh, today. When we think of powerful people, we probably think about it in, in kind of negative terms. You know, powerful people, they're just coercive, they're corrupt, uh, they just use it for their own good, they oppress people with it. But Paul here is, is praying for an unordinary power. You see, there's a cultural power today that's on both sides of the divide, left and right, that looks combative, that looks aggressive, that's self-assertive. And then there's a religious power that looks stoic and strong, that, that nothing gets to me, that, you know, I'm the type of Christian that can march through anything that's going on in my life. And both of these forms of power, they're, they're forms of power that look within to find some sort of outwardly impressive strength. Paul is praying for none of that. Paul is praying for an unordinary power, one that looks outside of us to find a strength within that actually to the world looks like weakness. A power that can sustain us though, a power that can make us resilient. A power that we don't generate, but that comes from beyond us. A power that is actually the presence of Jesus in us, who in his grace actually works most through our weaknesses, turning them into a canvas to show the unmeasurable, unmatched strength of God. And that is the type of power that you need. You see, this year you will face things that you don't even know are coming yet. Things that you won't have time to prepare for, 
things that even if you did have time to prepare for, they will overwhelm you, they will stretch you, they will exhaust you. And what you need is a power beyond yourself. What you need is a strength that comes from outside of you, that makes you strong within, a strength to become weak, an unordinary power that actually makes you resilient in ways that you can now face anything. And we get that strength when we pray for Jesus to come and live inside of us. Now, like I said, this prayer sounds a little confusing because if I'm a Christian, doesn't Jesus already live inside of me? And the answer to that question is yes. But what Paul's praying here is something different. Paul is praying for Jesus' continuing presence, for Jesus to have an expanding presence in you, for his spiritual footprint to grow in you in the places where you feel most Weak because those are actually the places where Jesus most wants to live in you. Jesus Christ desires to inhabit more of your story, more of your life today. In fact, nothing will ever be enough for him. He wants every piece of you. And he's not looking to move into the parts of your story that are, that are move-in ready. He wants to be in the parts of you that are dilapidated, that are overrun, that are falling apart, that you think nobody, maybe not even yourself, would ever want to spend more than a second in them. Jesus walks into those places in your life, looks around and says, perfect, when can I move in? This is his desire for you. He cannot hold himself back. He longs to live in our places of greatest need. Jesus in the gospel doesn't move into your life despite your mess. Your mess is actually what qualifies him for moving into your life. And he's not talking about just crashing in your guest bedroom for a couple days. Jesus wants to stay for good. You know, the word that Paul uses here for dwell, it's, it's not a, a temporary word, it's a permanent one. It can be used sometimes to describe a king moving into an estate. Jesus Christ wants to come into the triage units of your story and set up there a throne of grace from where he can reign as a king of love to give you an unordinary power in the places where you feel most weak today. So pray this year for an unordinary power. Second, pray for an unimaginable love. Uh, what, is, what is this strength? What is this unordinary power that Paul's asking us to pray for? What is it for? Grasping the ungraspable. Knowing the unknowable. A comprehending, as he calls it, the unimaginable love of Jesus. You know, Paul prays that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. 
You know, Paul, Paul is essentially saying here, the love of Jesus in the gospel to you, this moment is so big, is so immense, is so massive that you need an unordinary, a supernatural, a divine power just to begin to wrap your mind around it. That as he describes it, the, the dimensions of grace stretch wider, longer, higher, and deeper than you could ever imagine. That Jesus' love is wide, Paul says. So wide that anybody can get in on it. That as Jesus said in John 12, when I will be lifted up, I'm going to draw all peoples to me. That there is no one who doesn't qualify for Jesus' love today. That it is broad enough, it is wide enough for any race, ethnicity, culture, any walk of life. Anybody can get in on it. And his love is long, infinitely long. That is Ephesians 1 says, Jesus loved us from before time began. That he has a love for you in the gospel that predates any chance you had to make yourself lovely in his eyes. And it's a love that will go on forever. That as Psalm 136 says, Jesus' love for us in the gospel will never end that he will love you through whatever your future holds. Whatever this next year has in store for you, however you stumble and fall, however you suffer and struggle, Jesus' love will continue on and on and on and on forever. And his love is deep for us in the gospel. Deep enough for the divine to become human. Deep enough for God to become our servant deep enough for Jesus to be crucified for our sins, to be buried in a tomb, to descend down into the depths of hell itself. A love that is deep enough that there is no sin that can ever possibly get beyond his reach for you in the gospel. And Jesus' love is one that's high. Nosebleed high. That as Jesus prayed in John 17 in the gospel, he will actually lift you into experiencing the joy and the glory and the love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all share among themselves. That in the gospel, you get caught in the crossfire of the divine love of the Trinity and wrapped up into it yourself. It's a limitless love, a love of limitless dimensions, one that the more you understand, the bigger and the bigger and the bigger that it gets. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, book, The Last Battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, has this part in it where he's describing uh, what heaven is like. And he describes it this way, that, that the further you go in to heaven, the bigger that it actually starts to get. That is one of his characters uh, says, it's like an onion, heaven. Except that as you continue to go in, each circle is larger than the last. That its inside is bigger than its outside. Paul is saying the love of Jesus works the same way that the further you go into it, the bigger it gets. 
that it's ungraspable, it's unknowable, Paul says in verse 19, that we can put the best minds in the world together and we will never be able to plumb the depths of it or comprehend the magnitude of it. It's like an onion that as you peel away each layer, each circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than the last. That its inside is bigger than its outside. And what Paul is praying for is that we would have an experience of this love. That we would have an unordinary power to comprehend the unimaginable love of Jesus so that it would thrill us in the core of who we are. What you most need this next year, what you most need this next year is to experience the unimaginable love of Jesus. You know, this year you will face criticism from other people. You'll face shame from within. Or it'll be really easy to think this must be what Jesus thinks of me too. You'll experience setbacks, disappointments, suffering, where it will be really easy to think that Jesus doesn't love you like he did before. That maybe he hates you now. You will have sin and wandering from God where it will be really easy to believe that Jesus cannot possibly love you like he did anymore. He must surely hate me now. And what you need, what you need this next year more than anything else is to pray for an unordinary power to comprehend the unimaginable love of Jesus, for it to become real to you, which is an experience that you can have regardless of your circumstances. You know, Paul is praying this as a man who's experiencing the unimaginable love of Jesus for himself. Not in some nice Mediterranean villa that gets advertised on Airbnb, not from some prestigious, you know, pastoral job and in a cool city. No, Paul is writing this from prison. Paul is writing this from what, what I, if I was counseling him, would label as a devastating career setback. And yet in the midst of even a dark, dingy Roman prison cell, Paul is having this experience, this deep experience of Jesus' love, meaning you can too this year, whatever your circumstances are. You know, some of us, we will go through a living hell this next year. Some of us are going through one right now. Some of us feel like we just got out of one. And what Paul is saying is whatever your circumstances are, however bad it is, you can have an experience of the unimaginable love of Jesus that can transform a prison cell into something that Paul felt like a Mediterranean villa. I've got it made here. Because I am being thrilled in the core of who I am by the love of Jesus. So pray for an unordinary power. Pray for an unimaginable love. 
Lastly, pray for an undeniable growth. You know, Paul's prayer, it, it reaches its peak in verse 19. When Paul prays that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, now, when Paul talks about the fullness of God uh, in us, uh, it can sound a little abstract, can sound a, a little vague to us. What does that even mean? Uh, well, in Colossians 1 and 2, Paul tells us that the fullness of God is found in Jesus uh, that, that in Jesus Christ, the presence and the power and the perfection of God are all held. And so for Paul to pray that we would be filled with the fullness of God is another way of praying that we would become like Jesus. Now, in one sense, this is, this is a prayer that will never be fully answered in this life. In fact, Paul's prayer kind of gets that. Paul prays that we may be filled to the measure, to the max, to the brim with the fullness of God. In other words, Paul's not just praying that we would become like Jesus. Paul's praying that we would become completely like Jesus, something that will never happen in us until the resurrection. On that day, if you're a Christian, you will finally be made as lovely and as loving as Jesus that you will be transformed by grace into a stunning, beautiful, whole on the inside and outside version of yourself beyond any category that you have for it whatsoever. And by grace, that day is sure. It is set in stone. It cannot be moved. Jesus died to make it so. If you are in Christ, nothing can deter you from one day being transformed into the fullness of Jesus. The pressure's off. So what is Paul praying for here then? That we would participate in the process. You see, growth in the Christian life, it's a lot like growing a plant, which I'm way out of my depth in even talking about right now. I am terrible at growing plants, but I, I at least understand the basics, right? What ultimately takes a seed and turns it into a flower or, you know, a, a pepper or a tree or whatever it is you're growing, what ultimately does that is a source outside itself. It needs the sun. And yet it needs more than just the sun, you know, if I took some seeds, you know, today and went home and just kind of threw them in my backyard, just, you know, without any thought or intention on the grass and just thought, I don't know, they got sun. I guess something will come up eventually. And a year later, I'm like, what is going on here? None of these seeds grew. Does that really make sense? No. They need the sun. And yet the plants, they, they need to be taken care of. They need water. They need fertilizer. They need to stop our dog from digging them up which is why we've never been able to grow tomatoes. Thank you for your presence in our house, Biscuit. They need to be taken care of, and yet I'm not the one growing it. I can water and fertilize and care for the plants all I want. If they don't get sunlight, they're never gonna grow because I'm ultimately not the one growing it. I'm just participating in the process. The same is true with the undeniable growth that Paul is praying for. 
Our process of becoming like the beauty of Jesus is ultimately dependent on a source outside of ourselves, on the power of God that's at work within us that Paul prays for in the verse just after this, which by grace is the thing that is making you into the beauty of Jesus, meaning the pressure is off. If you are a Christian, here's your job. Put yourself under the radiant beams of God's Son in the grace of the gospel for you. And as you do that, participate in the process. And how can we do that? There's a lot of ways, but Paul actually gives us one really good way to start with here in this prayer. Do you see what Paul is doing with the love of Jesus in this prayer? He's meditating on it. He's thinking it over, forwards and backwards, inside and out. He's measured all its dimensions. He's wrestled with it. He's chewed on it. He's tried to grasp it. He's thought it down into the bottom of who he is until he can say, what is the love of Jesus like? It is wider and longer and deeper and higher than you and me will ever know. He has meditated on the love of Jesus until, as one Puritan put it, his heart becomes like a burning lamp inside of him. And so that one way this year that you can participate in the process of God's undeniable growth in you is to meditate on the love of Jesus in God's word. Take this passage this year. Tape it to your steering wheel. Put it on your mirror. Stick it next to your cupboard. Look at it every day. Think it over and over. Wrestle with it. Fight with it. Squeeze its implications down deep into every part of your story until your heart becomes like a burning lamp until the gospel gets a hold of you, until as Paul is praying, the love of Jesus becomes real to you so that the love of Jesus can now be more seen through you. So what would change? What would change if this prayer was answered in your life this year? Well, let's find out together. Let's pray. Father, we know how easy it is for us to get the gospel and yet for the gospel to not have gotten a hold of us. That we can know it, we, we can genuinely believe it, and yet there is so much, so much about Jesus that is yet to become real to us. Father, we pray that you would make this our prayer for the year. That you would let us wrestle, fight with, squeeze every ounce of this text deep down into our story and that you would change the parts of our lives that maybe we think are beyond change. And maybe even that this Sunday next year, 
we would all get to sit and share stories with one another about what happened when the gospel became real to us this year. Amen.